What is going on, guys? This is Brendan Burns, and welcome to The Brendan Burns Show. Join me as I interview, dissect, and share the stories of high performers who have created the life that they deserve on their terms. I sit down with speakers, professional athletes, and successful entrepreneurs from all over the world who have chosen to live a life of fulfillment and joy over status and money. In each episode, I share actionable strategies that you can implement in your life, plus inspiration along the way. So come join me for this episode of The Brendan Burns Show. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of The Brendan Burns Show. Joining us today is Matt Dobschutz of Porn Free Radio and Recovered Man. I absolutely love Matt's podcast and have listened to probably 100 of his 193 episodes, which were instrumental in my recovery and overcoming my porn and sex addiction and achieving my sobriety. Matt is a role model of mine, a leader and a mentor with an amazing mission, and I'm so grateful to have him here on the show with us today. Matt Dobschutz, welcome to the show. Thank you. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to dissecting. Is, am I the high performer here? Or are you? <laughs> You're in the hot seat today, Matt. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I'm, I'm an open book. Whatever you want to ask, let's do it. Absolutely. So um, kind of the theme when I was thinking about how are we going to frame this episode is thinking about porn as a drug that people don't know is as harmful as it is um, and why it's a, it can be an addiction and then ultimately how people can get help. So why don't we start with your story um, and, and how you discovered pornography at a young age and, ha- and how it turned into something that was an addiction. Yeah, I discovered porn when I was eight. And um, I don't remember, I think I must have saw a magazine at a, at a, at a bookstore or something. And that's, um, oh, no, I remember I was at a gas station. My grandmother was getting gas. I walked in. There was these magazines a little above my eyesight. So that tells you how tall I was, right? You know, I was like, I was probably like four foot tall or something. So, you know, just a little higher out of reach. And I reached for a magazine and I remember it had some sort of biblical theme, like, a, like vines, like Eve in the garden. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it's the funny things you remember. It's like 40 years later. And um and I just opened it and it wasn't like a Playboy. It was like a kind of a natural magazine or something. And just a very normal looking woman was just on a bed completely naked. And it was the first time I'd ever seen a naked woman. And I immediately knew there was something powerful about this. Uh, and I also, something in my head clicked off, this is a secret. Like, mm. can't tell anybody about this. There's, you know, so it was like powerful and exciting and at the same time, a secret and something you had to hide. And, you know, as I, as I looked at it more throughout the years, it became more shameful and, and more of a hidden, you know, as a shameful secret. But at the time I knew right away, closed the magazine, immediately thought, you know, this is, I felt shameful. Um, and um, my, my grandmother came in and said, you know, what? Uh, you know, what's going on? And I said, nothing. Like I immediately pretended like everything was okay. And um, so that's when I first was exposed to it. And, um, and what happened was as I grew up, um, I found myself returning to it, you know, for 
the excitement, but there was also some comfort in it. And by the time I had become, you know, maybe 12 or 13, I learned, you know, what masturbation was. And then, you know, kind of putting these two things together, this sort of powerful feeling of orgasm with, um, you know, erotic literature and pictures um, just really cemented. And it became, um, it became a habit that I would retreat to. And in retrospect, I can realize, oh, I was trying to cope with different feelings and I was trying to, you know, deal with um, puberty and other stuff. But at the time, it just, it still felt like this hidden secret, shameful and, um, um, and, and compulsive too. Like, I mean, I started, you know, fantasizing about how I could get time um, to, to, to get alone with pornography. Um, I, you know, I didn't, my dad um, never looked at pornography, so there was none in the house. So I was always trying to scheme ways to get it. Um, I stole it. Um, I found it. I had a job as a custodian at a, at a building here in Chicago. And sometimes I'd find magazines in the garbage. So mm-hmm. I was, you know, I was always trying to, on the lookout to try to acquire or find stuff. Wow. And um, was there anything sort of particular to your upbringing, any um, unique situations like dysfunctions um, feelings like the relationship between your parents the way they treated you or anything that may have triggered um, triggered shame or any other painful feelings or anything in your life that you were looking to kind of use the porn to soothe or was it kind of just like you know something you went to everyone has normal painful feelings like was there anything out of the ordinary for you well I grew up in a loving home uh, but there was um as I look back, I realized there was a trauma that happened in my early life where uh, a younger brother of mine was born and then died uh, about a week after birth. And um, um, and I don't remember a lot about the time. I was maybe about three or four. Um, but the year or two after this is, is, is when I'm starting to get older. And uh, my parents both had a really strong reaction to this death. Uh, my mom got depressed. My dad sort of threw himself into work. And uh, I was a pretty smart kid, a, um, a precocious kid, kind of aware, a little, maybe a little beyond my years, if you will. Yeah. And so I can only imagine what my world was like with my mom sort of depressed and my, you know, grieving and then my dad, you know, distracted by work as a way to sort of deal with his own pain. Um, I think what I started interpreting was I have to take care of myself and that there was a piece of me also that made me feel somewhat unlovable. And um, I don't know how that got in. You know, I'm sure my parents didn't communicate that I was unlovable, but there was some piece of disconnection with my parents that made me feel that feeling. Uh, And when I look back at my connection with porn, I realized one of the things I really wanted was to feel good enough, to feel seen, um, to feel loved. And I even remember, you know, just um, being really attracted to uh, women in porn who seemed caring or nurturing. Mm. Um, Even there, you know, I've said this recently, you know, even I remember women's bodies were somewhat comforting or nurturing, like, you know, voluptuous women or women just who were um, even older or more maternal, those were the kind of women that I was really attracted to, you know, the idea that they were taking care of you and 
you know, inviting you into their private world. Um, mm. That really clicked with me. And, um, and, you know, it was one of those things that I used to sort of survive that, that pain and that mistaken belief growing up. The problem is, is when you get older and you're still using porn like that and you're in a marriage, for example, there's this huge disconnect where the, the, the meaningful relationships that you have in life um, are, you know, you're not going to for that comfort and for that nurture and you're still retreating to your porn world. That's when it starts to be a real challenge. And that's what happened to me. I got, I got into a marriage and I, I maybe had this idealistic view of what marriage was going to be like, you know, very sexually intimate, of course, but then I'll just, I was just going to feel, um, you know, seen and loved all the time. And I didn't realize there was conflict in relationships and there was places where you were missed and there was misunderstandings. So, um, you know, when I got into marriage, I actually had more trouble with porn because I, I realized, man, I, I'm really, uh, I feel like I'm overwhelmed by intimacy. Right. And I've heard, you know, the dependence on pornography has been called an intimacy disorder. And uh, I, I think that's totally what I had. I, I immediately started withdrawing um, and didn't know what to do and, and fall deeper into to porn dependence. Wow, that's powerful. And I really appreciate you sharing your story and um, really excited to get the response from our listeners because I've talked about addiction on the show. Um, I've had people on who have overcome heroin addiction and alcoholism. And I'm so happy that we're bringing this to light, especially in the age that we live in where, you know, half of social media sometimes can be like pornography. Um, now, wasn't there a story, because I've listened to a bunch of your podcast episodes where so you, you mailed someone a letter or there was like a $10. Could you tell that story? That was such an amazing story. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Um, I think I was about 20 years old and I was living in an apartment. And here's the one thing you should know about me. I, I grew up a, a, a conservative uh, Christian and I'm still a Christian. And so I never felt that porn and porn behavior, I never felt like it fit with my values. Uh, and and I, I'm not even talking about like religious shame or anything like that. It just I didn't never felt good about it. Um, mm. I never felt like, hey, this is this is like the way I was created to be, you know, looking at pictures and masturbating to them. Like, I, I never felt good about that. Right. Um, so I always, um, even as a teenager, was looking for ways to get help. And um, I remember, you know, I would always, one of the things why I was always looking for pornography was I was always throwing it away. Um, oh, interesting. Whenever I would acquire something, I could never hold on to it. It, it, would, it would eat at me to even have it in the house. Um, I might be able to keep it for a day or two, and then it's like it would just, I would just feel like I can't, I can't have this in my life. Um, so I remember when I was in college, the first time I ever heard anyone talk about porn or masturbation as even a problem was at my college fellowship and this woman was there and she had worked in a um she worked in a ministry in the city where they were helping sex addicts and people struggling with sex addiction 
And, uh, you know, which never was talked about. This is like, you know, early 90s. Yeah, ahead of their time. Yeah, no one talked about sex addiction. No one talked about porn. And she said, she, she was just sort of matter of fact talking. And she said, some of you struggle with porn and masturbation. And I was like, I like literally, it was like mic drop. Like I was so, wait, I don't know what, I don't know who's dropping the mic. But I literally <laughs> was like, had, you know, I kind of couldn't believe that she said it. And, um, and I was too embarrassed to go up to her afterwards and say, hey, I really related to that. I really connect with that. Um, and so, but I felt like, hey, now someone spoke what it was. This is a problem. I felt validation. So I had that positive energy like, oh, I can beat this now. Now that I know it's a thing and someone else knows about it. And it was like literally like 24 hours later, 48 hours later that I'm considering to go out and get porn. It was like, uh, it was a late night. I worked a second shift job. It's two in the morning. And I'm having one of those things that probably all, um, people who struggle with addiction know it's like, I'm kind of like, am I going to, am I going to act out? Am I going to use or am I not? Right. And, yeah. and, and, and I was literally, and back in those days you had to go out and buy pornography and there was a train station, a, you know, a L train station, um, by my house that had a 24 hour newsstand. And, um, and I had $10 and it might not seem like a lot. It might not seem like a lot now, but back then I was you know, kind of living check to check and um, $10 was significant to have an extra $10 was, was actually a threat. Mm. And, um, and so I was trying to figure out what to do. And, and then I had this thought of this speaker and I thought, you know, if I quickly uh, ran inside, grabbed an envelope and mailed her this $10, I could keep myself safe that night. And you know, as I, as I help guys now, I mean, that's, that's a disruptive kind of strategy. Like I was basically fleeing the situation of temptation in that moment. Um, and so I did, I ran inside, I grabbed an envelope. I looked her, her, her ministry up in the uh, phone book. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's so old school. I, I tell this, I've told this story to millennials and they like, there's so many disconnects and they this, don't even understand what's a phone like, book. Yeah. Well, buying porn, yeah. Well, yeah. uh, having, you know, buying porn, having to go out and get it, uh, <laughs> getting an envelope and a stamp, looking it up in the phone book. And then the best is a couple of days. So I wrote her this letter. Hey, I was going to look at porn and I, here's the $10 and I sent it to her. And, um, a couple of days later, she left a message on my answering machine that said, Matt, you know, you're loved. And uh, thank you so much for sending out this letter. Wow. And um, so whenever I tell that to people are like an answering machine, it's like, yeah, another tech. It's like a Steven Spielberg film from 20 years ago. It's like, you know, all these like references. So, yeah. But you know, it's funny. I, um, I ran my own recovery group years later and, um, uh, guys from different types of uh, addictions, men and women came to this group. Uh, some people were recovering from relational um, abuse and relational issues. It wasn't all sex related stuff. Um, some people were coming uh, with uh, trauma, childhood sexual trauma. Um, so it was kind of a variety of things. And I did the same talk. I shared the same story. At the end of the meeting, a guy came up, he opened his wallet and he had exactly $10. And um, he gave it to me and he said, you know, could you, uh, could you give this to the church? He didn't go to the church that I was running this group in. And I go, why? What's up? He goes, well, 
um, I have a very, um, I have accountability with my money, but I had this extra $10. No one knows about it. And I could go to this one bar and have one drink. And this was a bar where you could connect with anonymous sexual partners. And he's like, mm. so my plan was after the meeting to go to this bar and use this 10 to get a beer and, and then hook up. So if wow. I give you the 10, then I'll just go home. I love stories like that. And uh, so like he, he literally, it was like years later, he did the same thing. He used, he, he you know, gave me the $10 in order to, to stop acting out that night. Amazing. Now um, let's go into uh, the part of your story where uh, you got caught or you had this awareness. I think it was from your wife because I think there are a lot of people out there they start with like light and they get to moderate then they get to heavy usage. And it's almost like you were given a gift. It's like a blessing when we either get caught or something happens that wakes us up to this. So what was your story of how you got caught and how you got help? Well, you know, from, from that story, the $10 bill to the story of my wife catching me, that's 11 years. And what happened in that 11 years, Matt? Uh, I was, I was, you know, didn't feel good about porn use. I was throwing it away after I used it. And, and so what happened, like most people, I selectively shared some of the struggle, but never really told the whole story. And especially when I got into my marriage and I had so much at stake, I was so scared of losing love or losing, you know, I already felt unlovable. So the idea that I would come out and be totally open about this real area of weakness in my life, this place where I had this hidden shame, it, it was like, it just, I was like doubled down in hiding it. Mm. Um, and, and so, um, so no one really knew what was going on with me. No one in my family, none of my friends, no one at church. My wife didn't know about it. You know, I had casually mentioned it in dating, but made it sound like it was, you know, 40 years in the past. Right. Uh, um, and, um, and what happened was, you know, one, one summer night, um, she went to bed early. She wasn't feeling well. And I took that as an opportunity to, to get to the office and, just started you know, binging on pictures and stuff at the time and clicking through things. And, um, and all of a sudden, you know, I was, um, you know, I was pr pretty much, I didn't have any clothes on and I'm in front of the computer. It's the worst case scenario. Yeah. And, and I hear this voice, what are you doing? And she had, she was at the office door looking in and I was, I mean, it was, there was no minimizing it. There was no, you know, and, and so I kind of, it was, like you, you mentioned it was a gift, you know, even in that moment, I went, my life is going to be different from this moment forward. Wow. Because, because I've now, I've now been caught at the area where like the, the most, just the thing that I never wanted to happen has just happened. Right. Um, and I spent that night trying to explain myself, but I didn't have any language. I didn't know why I was doing this. I didn't know why it was such a drive for me, why it was so compulsive. Mm. I didn't know why I had hidden it. Mm. So it was a lot of just trying to explain things, trying to explain myself. Um, my wife was upset, but she also knew that it was bigger than her. Um, she had some, I don't know if it was 
kind of a divine insight or something, but she just said, you know, I know this isn't about me, but you need help. This is, this, she, she realized that this is bigger than just sort of, you know, sometimes women internalize it as a rejection, you know, like right. oh, you're looking at these women because whatever. And I'm sure my wife had some of that, but she also knew this seemed deeper, like the way I was trying to explain it and, and go deeper. Um, she had, she had some empathy and compassion in that moment, grace. Wow. Well, let's acknowledge her for a minute. What inside of her, was that from her upbringing or her inner journey enabled her to know that this was about you? And instead of, I mean, I don't know if she did make any sort of threats or whatever about what needs to change, but it sounds like she was supportive in your recovery. She, I mean, she's a very godly woman and very spiritual and, um, um, you know, frankly, I think at the time she didn't, she still probably didn't know the scope, um, like in, in the sense of how deep it went. Mm. Um, but she knew, Hey, this is something that Matt's struggling with. And he, you know, I trust that he is being honest with me explaining this thing and, and, um, that he's honestly, you know, wanting to change. So I don't know. I mean, I, I work with guys all the times whose wives are, at that place of, of really feeling betrayed and um, wanting to set ultimatums or be very nasty about this. And, uh, and, I'll, and I'll tell you, I'm porn free today because of love, not because of shame or ultimatums. Like wow. if she would have put up shame, I already felt unlovable, I already felt shame. So if she would have doubled down on that, I probably wouldn't be married today. Yeah. I just wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to handle it. Right. Um, you know, if, if she didn't have a loving response or wasn't at least, or I didn't feel supported with her, she didn't have to, she, she didn't have to accept it. Um, but if she didn't accept me, if she rejected me, I would have killed me. Right. Um, I mean, my biggest fear was losing love. And so if she would have started withdrawing love, I probably, I, I, I don't know what would happen. I mean, maybe I would have hit that, what do you call it? The lower bottom? A low bottom, yeah. Yeah, maybe I would have hit the low bottom with that. But I don't know. I don't know if I could have handled it, to be honest. I was so yeah. fragile um, from hiding for so long um, that I, I took, you know, it was a lot of baby steps in recovery, but, but, but that was a big gift, uh, having her find me. That's awesome. So let's acknowledge her again and, and be grateful. And, and, and so this happens, you get caught kind of red handed, so to speak. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> white handed. And uh, so where do you go from there? She had heard of a, a Christian recovery group that I could go to. And um, so she actually printed out an application at her job and said, here, apply to this group. And um, I did. And um, it was a group that was run by an Anglican minister. And he had had his own uh, addiction challenges, both with, uh, I think, substance and sex addiction. And so, uh, but he had recovery. And he, um, he basically presented a, a, a very holistic way of recovery, looking at what the wounds are, looking at where the pain is. Um, it was Christian base. So, you know, looking at where, uh, how God created us and what our needs were, uh, what were the needs that we needed to 
to take to him and to to look for that deeper spiritual kind of affirmation um you know uh i mean i think one thing that people who struggle with addiction have is that they they have these needs that can never be met by a person or by a um uh, substance, you know, and, and so how, where do you get those needs met? And in, in this, um, recovery group, you know, there was a lot of, um, um, spiritual connection. That was the, the answer to that. And, um, and I, I, I mean, it was so great to just be honest, um, to, to, to tell my story and not be rejected. Um, I remember the, the, the guy who spoke, his name is Mario. I just remember even his voice was just empathetic. Um, and, you know, you, you said you enjoyed my podcast. I, um, I have been mimicking him for, mm-hmm. like, for like 15 years. Like I, when I, sometimes when I do the podcast or when I used to run my own group, I would say, how would Mario say this? And I would make my voice softer or I would try to, really play up the empathy or the vulnerability. Um, and it was almost like I'm trying to be like a little Mario because um, it was so impactful to me. And I think a lot of people relate to that in the podcast. I, I mean, people say all the time, oh, I really appreciate your voice. I'm like, my voice, like my voice. I do. I love your voice on your show. And then when we started talking today, I was like, oh, it's the voice again. Right. But that's like, I, that is a direct uh, lineage to, to Mario. Uh, his name is Mario Bergner. Um, I, I mean, it was him cause I, and I, I've been dreaming of having him on the podcast and I always have been putting it off, but, but it's, it, it was so meaningful to me early on. Cause you know, I didn't need to be shamed anymore. I didn't need, um, to be piled on. I needed love. I needed acceptance. I needed care and I needed a safe place to deal with the pain. Right. You know, I heard, I heard your podcast a, a few weeks ago where you talked about um, some of the struggles that you've had with, with emotional abuse and that, that um, it directly corresponded, you know, when you were engaging with abuse and, you know, active, it, it, it corresponded directly with the amount of pain you were experiencing. And, yeah. um, and it was the same for me, you know, when, when I started getting more engaged with porn in my marriage, I was, I was feeling a lot of pain and a lot of um, discontent. And, and so I was getting more compulsive about using, using and hiding. And um, so I needed a safe place to deal with that pain. Yeah. Well, well, good for you. And so as you went on that, you know, one of the things actually I, I remember from your podcast is you talk about the importance of connecting with other people which I'm sure is related to, you know, you identified that in your childhood, there were times where you weren't able to connect with your parents in some ways. And so, you know, this for you, and and I think for many people is about wanting to be loved and heard and seen. And we have these devices, which can be blessings if you use them correctly. And they can be curses when used incorrectly. And I've heard you on your show talk a lot about, you know, calling up a guy friend and just talking. And um, I'm curious, how you discovered the value of, of bonding with other men and of human connection as a healthy replacement for pornography usage. That's a great question. I mean, one thing I, one thing I realized 
is even though I had a lot of friends and I was a very social guy, I, I would go to parties. You know, if you listen to my podcast, my nickname's the Dauber or Dauber. And people would be excited to see Dauber. They were like, Dauber, Dauber has fun. Dauber, you know, uh, loves Jack Daniels. Dauber loves to dance. I was a DJ. I liked to part, you know, I love, I was just like, like kind of that larger than life. I had little stories that I would tell people and everyone would laugh and tell the story again of this thing or that thing. Um, But the problem is, is Matt was struggling. Mm. You know, Matt, um, Matt was in pain. Matt felt isolated and um, couldn't handle rejection, couldn't handle certain things. And so I was kind of living this dual life. And um, so I associated a lot of connection with, you know, they were, people were in this, knowing the dauber and they didn't care so much about the weak parts of me or the heart, the painful places. Um, And so I hid for a long time. And I think that's what a lot of guys do. They develop a persona that they show people and then the the real person underneath. And um, that's what I did. And um, so, you know, the, the scary thing was, the part of me that felt alone and not seen, it wasn't easy to just connect. I still struggle sometimes with, um, in, you know, it being intentional, you know, like, hey, I want to connect with someone. Um, so I need to invite them out to lunch or I need to say, do you want to see this movie? Like, I, I still struggle with that, picking up the phone and just calling when I need something, when I need connection. Right. Um, I uh, had a an incident happened. Uh, it's not an incident, but I had a lunch with someone recently who was going through a challenging time. And maybe Brendan, this happens to you since you coach guys and 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 work with people. He just sort of poured out his heart, everything that he was struggling with, everything that was going on with him. And then uh, the hour was up, and he's like, "Oh, I gotta go." And then he left, and I realized I didn't get to share anything about what was going on with me. Mm. so immediately I start going to that mistaken belief, you know, that, Hey, he doesn't really care about me. Um, you know, I'm alone in this, you know, might as well just depend on yourself, withdraw. And uh, I was talking to my therapist and she said, um, why couldn't during that lunch, couldn't you have said, Hey, I have some things I'd like to share. Why couldn't you have spoken up for yourself? Um, after the fact, could you call him and say, hey, we met last week. Could we schedule another lunch? There's some stuff I'd like to talk about. Yeah. And I was like, it was like so, so basic. Like, yeah, why don't I? But, but my first inclination was um, he was, he didn't care. You know, I was sort of rejected. And there's, and, and what do I need? I just need to withdraw. I just need to stay to myself. Why, right. you know? you know, you only get hurt if you're in relationships like that kind of thing. So there's still that part of me that struggles with that. So, so um, I'm learning, I'm still like a work in progress with that. And I think one thing, Brendan, you've probably seen this with your podcast and with some of your work is like, I feel like more and more in our culture, this is a challenge. More of the guys I'm talking to are struggling making connections with other guys. I work with a lot of guys in their 40s Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're at Little League baseball games all the time with their kids and they're driving k- kids around to k- games and sports, but they don't have any friends. Yeah. And um, 
And it's, you know, and I feel like this might be a gender bias thing, but, you know, I see my wife and I see her friends, I see them making time in their schedule to connect, setting up lunches, having book clubs, doing these things to connect. And, and I see the guys, their schedules are just, you know, they work and and they do kids stuff. And, you know, and then what are they doing at night? They're binging on Netflix or they're, or they're looking at their screen and they're just not reaching out. And so I think it's, I think it's going to only get worse because there's so many things that can distract us from meaningful connection. Yeah. yeah. And it takes so much energy to kind of push into that, you know? Yeah. It's kind of like swimming against the current to, uh, to create that in a world that's set up for a less connected experience. And yeah, I was reading somewhere that um, in the past couple decades, the average person has gone from having four or five close friends, like very close friends, to the average person having two close friends, with something like 20 to 25% of people now in our country having zero close friends. So here's the thing. Um, We started by talking about pornography and one of the challenges of it. Well, pornography is really sort of a false intimacy. There's this sense of getting intimacy from it. It, I, I think it's, I don't know. I, I've probably, I've talked to other addicts and, and maybe they get intimacy from alcohol or heroin. Maybe there's a little bit of that, but I think porn because of the relational aspect of sex and bodies and the way we were created, I think there's even a little more relational piece that we're trying to get from it. Um, but at the end of the day, it's a physical thing. It's, it's pixels on a screen. It's, um, um, you know, it's a, it's a girl dancing for us, but it's a fantasy. It's not real. Um, it's a, it's illusory, illusory. I don't know how to illusory. Yeah. Yeah, It's illusory. And, um, and at the end of the day, most people practice pornography addiction alone withdrawing Mm -hmm. and it's, it's basically masturbating alone. Yeah. And so the danger that I see in this is, and this isn't, based on judgment. This is just the danger is if we're in a culture where we're already feeling disconnection, struggling to connect with other people, engaging in compulsory behavior that that basically thrives in isolation and is based on on something that is uh, an illusion, just it it's just it's counterproductive to to meaning in life. Um, C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite writers, he, he talks about how the whole, uh, his, his whole um, purpose in life is to come out of ourselves, to connect meaningfully with others. Like, and he says, that's the purpose of sex, but that's more of the purpose of like human life. Right. And he said, and the danger of pornography and masturbation, he says, is that it's withdrawing into the prison. It's, it's going deeper into yourself and, and pulling away. And he said, the real danger is coming to love the prison. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and you see a lot of people who I think love the prison that they're in. Yeah. Um, and they're putting more and more time and there's more and more consequences to relationships, to, to their work, um, because they're, they're, they're going deeper and deeper into, you know, 
the, these behaviors. And, you know, we see stories all the time of people escalating with porn and into unsafe activities or to illegal activities. Um, but just the amount of time that it takes from people um, has huge consequences on marriages, on being a father, being a mother, family, you know, being a good friend. You know, there's just, there's so many harmful things, I think, to, to just the engagement um, at that, at that addiction level. Yeah, uh, I totally agree. So one of the things that I wanted to talk about now is um, I have a lot of people who I've coached, or you see this a lot on forums, like, you know, Reddit has porn free, for example, and people are, I find to be very hard on themselves for either relapsing or like, you know, I just want this thing to be over. And I saw, you know, in your story, I think it was in 2001, where you were uh, caught by your wife, and then about 10 years later, were able to say completely porn free. Um, do I have those dates right? And yeah. If you, and, and if I do, could you just talk a little bit about the fact that you know anything like really meaningful or rewarding in life, whether it's going porn free, whether it's starting your own business, like usually it takes a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of strength. And is there anything you could say about that? Because I see people call me up, and it's like a few months in. They're like, oh, I relapsed. What's the point? I'm never going to do this type of approach. Well, I mean, it was a journey for me. And uh, I had some some slips and relapses in there. Um, you know, um, I did have some good sobriety in there, too. I mean, I, I had a couple years at one point at the beginning. I had a couple years at different point strikes. Um, so, but, you know, I think for me, recovery is really about continual improvement. And a lot of times when people, I'm sure you're familiar with uh, uh, Flow State by uh, Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. Yep. Um, I, I can never say his last name. But, you know, he says what happens is, 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 you know, we're in a flow state when we're building skills that overcome challenges. And as long as we keep, you know, building skills and, you know, our challenge level goes up, um, we get more competent, we stay in a flow state. But the moment that we get overcompetent, we, um, uh, we stop seeking challenges, we start, stop seeking improvement, we can get bored easy. Um, or if we try to move too fast, and a lot of times those guys on Reddit, they get really hardcore and they try to do all these things and then um, they get overwhelmed. And so, it, so it, you know, the two things that kill the flow state are boredom or anxiety, you know? doing too much, taking on too much challenge and not having the skills or kind of resting on your laurels, having skills, but not challenging yourself. Um, you see it a lot in recovery. Um, um, I always tell guys, if you get to 90 days uh, of recovery, you really need to look for ways to start helping others. Because if you just, you know, try to treat you know, the next 90 days or the next year, kind of like you did the first 90 days, you're going to get bored. And mm -hmm. you're going to start doing unsound activities, you're going to start, you know, doing things that aren't helping you move forward, if you're not challenging yourself. So what well, way to challenge yourself is to work with someone else to help someone else who's not as far along as you. Mm. Um, but 
I, I also think, and you've probably heard me say this, people use the word relapse a lot. And in medical definitions, relapse is you had a period of health and then the sickness came back. Mm. But on Reddit and a lot of the forums, I see a lot of guys who have a period of abstinence, but they're not doing any healthy recovery. Right. They're, they're you know, maybe using a tool or they put something on their computer or they're, they're, they're maybe doing a little something, but they don't have a period of health. Yes. They're, not, they're not really living healthy recovery. And they use the word relapse like, oh, I relapsed. But I, I'm, I'm like, I don't even consider a relapse. I feel like you haven't even gotten to the beginning of your plan. Right. You haven't really done the things you need to do to get healthy. And that's a big contributor probably to why they're acting out is because they never. So I remember when I first got into this, I was reading a lot of really helpful articles. One said, you know, quitting porn is kind of about doing two things. One, it's quitting porn. And two, it's finding other stuff to replace it with, finding your purpose, your calling, whatever it is, to kind of meet those needs in a healthier way. Yeah. I mean, whenever a guy comes to me and says, hey, Matt, my, my why for quitting porn is really, I really want to learn how to deal with powerful emotions in a healthy way. I'm like, that guy's closer to where we need to go. Yeah. When a guy comes to me and says, Matt, I really want to give up porn because I hate it. Uh, you know, and, and my wife caught me and it's right. kind of like, it's a little bit, but you know, it, there's, there's like a lack of even awareness of what's going on. Um, it's going to be a longer road um, because I, I think, yeah, it really is about, um, you know, changing your life. Sometimes people will say, how long does recovery take? And I'm like, really, the recovery I'm talking about is changing the way you do life. And so you're going to change the way you do life and you're going to continue to live like that um, as you go forward. I mean, I know I live differently than I did in 2001. Um, you know, the way I handle certain situations, the way what I see as a threat, um, in 2001, pornography was the, the threat. So we put the lock on the computer, but I was still fantasizing. I still okay. would withdraw to masturbation. I probably was still objectifying people in my life. Um, there were all these things that I, over the years have gone, this doesn't work with my recovery. Um, when I started leading a group with men and women, I realized I can't I can't serve a woman at group and, and care for her and be empathetic about her pain. And then at night withdraw into my little fantasy world and make her part of my, my harem. Right. Now, that just doesn't work. Right. Right. And, and there's other things too. I realized, man, every time I edge, every time I look at something on HBO and kind of skirt around the edges of pornography, um, it creates craving in me, and then I start acting out. So over the years, there's just been these things, TV shows, um, habits that I had, going to bed, but, you know, going to bed uh, um, after my wife. Yeah. You know, I, and one of the biggest habits that I incorporated in my life was I go to bed with my wife, and it's, we pretty much are probably like 99% of the time, 
we go to bed at the same time and I'm not always tired. It's amazing. Um, I listen, you know, last night we went to bed at the same time. I listened to, uh, probably three episodes of the Brendan Burns show on my headphones yeah. while she was asleep. Nice. Um, because that's a safe activity that I can do where I'm not going to get into trouble. Um, but I mean, that's an example of, of I do things differently. One of the reasons I was acting out so much in those early days was uh, I was doing some consulting work and I would just stay up late working on it. She'd go to bed. And then after I was done working, I would reward myself right. by going on a little porn vacation. Wow. So um, for the people out there who are listening, um, who may be using pornography more than they would like to, or just kind of thinking, it's being like, yeah, okay, like you guys, Matt, Brendan, you may have been like way over the top with this, and I understand why you would want to quit. But, you know, I don't know if I need to quit. Like, what would you say overall are the, the benefits that you've had in your life from quitting porn? Like, what other areas have flourished or what new things do you have in your life because of quitting porn? And also with clients that you've worked with and that you've helped, you know, in addition to them quitting porn, like, what else changes in your and their lives? Well, I always say on my podcast that I, I do a podcast for motivated guys who want to quit looking at porn. So I don't see my job as convincing people to quit porn. Um, I'm, I'm going out asking people who want help to, to say, hey, there's a way that you can eliminate this from your life. First, right. first, so the first thing I'd say is um, if you're not happy about the porn use in your life or the type of porn you're looking at or how much control it has over your time, um, you definitely don't need it. It's not something that you need in your life. Right. And there are strategies and there's tools you can use to eliminate it. Um, so if it's kind of one of these things where it's, you're mildly not happy with it, it's something you can eliminate. Um, and if you're not a, super addicted, it's probably going to be easier for you to eliminate it than someone who has a real dependency on it. Um, the way I look at addiction, though, is that it's just an extreme version of a habit that... Um, that, you know, guys get in this, this habit where this becomes a primary coping mechanism, a primary way of coping. Right. So one question to ask yourself, even if you're sort of okay with it is, is it the primary way that you're trying to cope with stress in your life, uh, with, with rejection, with boredom, with anger? If the answer for, say, two or three of those things is yes, then it's probably worth looking at. Um, if porn is your main way of, of dealing with life, it's, it's, um, uh, it's not going to serve you well. It's the same way that porn doesn't give you intimacy. Porn doesn't resolve conflict. Porn doesn't ultimately relieve anxiety. Porn makes you feel more bored after you're done. Like it, there's, it leaves you with very little. Um, so you know, it's worth looking at if those are if those are ways that you're using porn to say, hey, is this the best way to meet this need? Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, there's people listening right now who probably know, man, this is a problem. It's I'm not I am out of control with this. And um, and uh, the one thing I'd say is your experience of maybe failure, like trying to quit. Uh, is probably more due to the fact that you didn't have the right support and tools and less about your willpower or, you know, your value as a person. Um, 
I think a lot of times guys are very, feel a lot of shame about the fact that they can't easily give this up. You know, it's a joke in our culture to be addicted to porn on some level. Yeah. Um, and, and, but yet if you're really addicted, if you're really feeling controlled by this and then you can't stop, that's when, that's when you need help. And that's, that's kind of what the podcast is for. It's for those guys who kind of go, Hey, I'm not happy about how I'm using this. It isn't, it's not in alignment with my values. Um, and that can be, that can be spiritual values, but it can also just be like, I just don't want to be withdrawing into myself and masturbating as a way to deal with life. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I worked with George Collins as we were talking about before the show and uh, he always used to say to me, um, you can't get enough of what won't truly satisfy you. And it's like your honesty today has helped me realize and many other people realize that we go to porn or, you know, whatever your compulsive behavior is because we're trying to get something, you know, we're trying to meet some kind of human need in your case, love and connection. And there are not only are there better ways to do that, but the porn actually never satisfies you because it's not real love and connection. So you've replaced that with actual love and connection. So not only were you able to quit porn, but your life's actually better because you have the real thing now. Yeah, you know, I was thinking, I was thinking about your podcast, uh, the way it opens with the dissecting, <laughs> you know, high performers. And, and I was like, man, I don't feel like, uh, you know, Jesse Eisler or, or uh, um, you know, some of these guys who you've had on your podcast. Uh, but then I thought about it. And I was like, you know what? Um, I'm so much freer now than I was in, say, 2001. Um, yeah. I'm so much less burdened. And even the places that feel unlovable, the places that I haven't figured out how to be intentional about male relationships and how to get some of these needs met, at least they're not being buried under compulsive activity that's hiding what the real me. Um, and, you know, one of the journeys that I've been on since uh, uh, going porn free is I've had a health journey. Um, I was a plant-based vegan for a number of years, lost a whole bunch of weight. Um, left being a vegan for some reasons uh, that were important to my family and have put weight back on. So I've kind of yo-yoed with my weight. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I'm still learning, hey, how do I get that love and connection I need and not look to it in food? Yeah. And how do I, um, you know, or, you know, I, it's easy for me to say, hey, I want to, I had a stressful day. Let me crack a beer. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But then if, if cracking a beer is your, your main way of dealing with stress on a, on a continual basis, then you got to look at it and go, what's up with this? Yeah. Um, I've, I, you know, I remember once uh, going through a Burger King drive through and uh, I was having a, a down day and I, I got a Dr. Pepper. Yeah. And I remember I took a sip of the Dr. Pepper before I pulled out and it was like the most, it was like this party in my mouth, like the best <laughs> feeling ever. And I thought at the time I go, I'm trying to get love through this straw. Yeah. And, and it's a powerful feeling like trying to, you know, and I, another great, a, a definition of addiction is that it's, you know, trying to solve, um, 
you know, trying to get an emotional or spiritual need from a physical thing. Wow. And just, you know, and that's what it was. I wanted that connection, that love, that good enough. And it was, you know, in the straw, you know, Uh, (laughs) so I'm still, you know, I'm, I'm still a work in progress. So, but gosh, not having porn and porn behaviors in my life, it's so much better for me. Um, I would never be able to run a business. You know, I run a coaching business like you and, and uh, internet based, but there's no way I could do this. There's no way I could be home uh, seven hours a day alone with right. technology and TVs. And I, I would be acting out all the time. I would be, I, I would never get anything done. Um, no, I'm, yeah, I, I, I love all that. And I also want you to know that um, I don't bring people onto this show based on how much money's in the bank account or if they've taken a company public through an IPO and, you know, like, obviously, if they own own an NBA franchise. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, look, I was at the Super Bowl this year and I met Jack Canfield and, you know, I asked him to come on my show and he said, he'll come on. And so it's always exciting when like these Jack Canfield, that's a big one. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's a great guy. I got, it's funny. I was at a party, a Super Bowl party a couple of days before the game and uh, Dr. J Julius Irving walks in the room and everyone goes over to him and then I see, I'm like, is that Jack Canfield? Because I took a bunch of his online programs and just by myself, I like race right over to him and I got to talk to him like for an hour one-on-one. Well, and, that's amazing. Yeah. And, you know, like when we first got on today on our call before we even started recording, I had that kind of like giddy, like deep excitement to talk to you because I think one of the reasons why I'm so excited when I met Jack was when I was in, like I started my journey in the 2013 with um, a woman breaking up with me. Um, I, I'm sure I was using porn compulsively and that played a big role in the problem, but there was also a lot of emotional abuse, which that I was, uh, I was being emotionally abusive towards her. And one of the first things that I did in my recovery from emotional abuse and being abusive was taking a long online program by Jack Canfield. So when I saw him, I was like, flooded with positive emotions that I just wanted to go like hug him and tell him how amazing he was. And when you, when we got on today and I heard your voice, cause it's a podcast. And I, like I said, I've listened to a hundred episodes. Like you've really impacted my life in a deep and meaningful way. And it doesn't matter if you own an NBA franchise or not. Like that's what this is all about. Well, it's great you saying that. And you know, what's interesting, Brennan, you, I know you do a podcast, so you, you probably understand this too is, it's so meaningful for me to know that you connected with my story and I get a reciprocal feeling of like not being alone. Yeah. You know, one of the greatest parts about my job is I'm in groups every week with guys who are responding to this message and it helps me not feel alone. Yeah. Um, I was in a group, uh, this happened uh, a couple months ago. You're a little younger than me, but in the old days with cable, you could buy um, a, a, like a porn or kind of a, like a channel that had some erotic content in it. And they would actually give you um, something that you would put on your computer or your, your uh, cable that would de-scramble this one signal. Um, so, um, so then you'd have this extra channel. And, uh, but here's the thing I found out. If you just watch the scrambled channel once every 
15 minutes or so, an image would come clear for just a moment. And, um, and so what I would do is I'd like record, you know, I'd record like an hour of this content and just fast forward to see if there were any points where the image froze and you could make out what was happening. Oh, and yeah. uh, someone else in um, one of my coaching groups mentioned bacon porn. That's what he called it. Because what happens is it, it kind of ribboned the screen when it was just, you know, when it was, um, uh, when you oh, couldn't see it. Yeah. And that's what he called it. When he, when he called it that, I knew exactly what he was doing. <laughs> I went, oh my God, I don't feel alone. I thought I was the only one yeah. who ever did something so, you know, so dumb. Yeah. Wasting all this time trying to see one, you know, millennial people are like thinking, what are you talking about? But it, it's the idea of like catching one pornographic image on my TV. Yeah. You know, I would spend 15 minutes watching, you know, essentially scrambled uh, pictures. So <laughs> I didn't feel alone. And it was a weird feeling of feeling, you know, seen and heard and, yeah. and understanding. It's amazing. And, you know, I kind of want to wrap up here with um, giving some people, people some actionable tools that they could take with them. So you talked about the value of joining like a support group. So anyone listening, definitely encourage you to do that. Um, What else would you recommend to people who might be listening and saying, you know what, Um, I want to do something about this. Uh, Matt, where, where do I get started on this journey? Well, I, I definitely recommend subscribing to the podcast Porn Free Radio. Yes. There's a lot of great things you can listen to there. Mm-hmm. But the most actionable thing you can do is creating a recovery plan. And, and I have a little process where I walk you through how to create a recovery plan for yourself and how to get started. And it, and it does some of the stuff that we're talking about today. It, it goes... Um, it goes past just some strategies. There's some things to think about, like, why do you want to do this? What are some of the big threats for you? What are some of the ways that you're trying to meet needs? What are those needs you're trying to meet? Walks you through it holistically. Um, I have a, a resource that you can get on my website. It's recoveredman.com slash this year. It's recoveredman.com slash this year. And the, the training is called Porn Free This Year. So the idea is is creating a plan to, to go porn free this year. And I know it's, uh, we're about halfway through the year. It's still not too late to go porn free this year. Definitely. And, and um, that's a great resource to start with. Um, what you're going to find though, is even with the plan, the way to activate a plan is with people. So you can't do this alone. Yeah. And so you're going to run into an obstacle if you still want to try to do this alone. Even if you create the best plan, if you don't have any connection, um, you won't have the support to really walk it out. So that's probably step two. And I have ways that you can do that with me and with uh, some of the coaching groups I run. Um, but there's other options out there too. There's um, there's different um, 12-step groups. There's groups that are local. So there's different ways to get that connection, but it's essential. If you're struggling with a relational addiction, you can't uh, recover alone. Um, Actually, I don't think you can recover from any addiction alone, but especially one that involves these, this idea of intimacy, relationships, connection. Yep. I just think it's impossible. Yeah. Yeah. I would like to agree with that by stating that in my recovery 
Uh, I was re- I was working a lot with your podcast, and you were talking a lot about. I, I just remember I think you were talking about like creating a travel plan because a lot of people will act out when they travel, including my past self. And you mentioned like having a couple of guys that you would let know you're going to be traveling. I'd like to talk to them on the phone if you're around. Um, I always loved when you talked about that stuff. And then when I was working with George Collins, um, he assembled a small group that I joined. So every Wednesday I talked to George and every Monday we had the group calls. And then that group would meet in Carmel, California every year. And we would do uh, like a, a retreat, like a men's group retreat, which I did twice. So yeah, I couldn't agree more on that. Um, a- anything else you want to leave listeners with? Um, we'll, we'll also make sure to spend some time as we conclude sharing links and wherever we can find you. And we'll put those in the show notes. But any you know, final words of wisdom or advice or anything you want to share with the audience? It's it's funny. Uh, just thinking, like the whole, you know, I've done now. I just recorded episode one ninety four of my podcast. I'm like, I have one hundred ninety four podcasts where I talk about stuff that I continue to think about. Um, I will say one quote that I've said more than any others on my podcast. Can you do you know what it is? Um, I you know it was it's a few a, years ago when I went through them all. Four, it's a four word quote. It's um. Uh, winners anticipate, losers, losers react. I love that quote. And it's from Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins, yeah. And it was on a podcast where he was talking about investing in the stock market. And I know you used to be in hedge funds and uh, financial stuff. Um, and he just he just talked about you know he wrote these couple of books on money recently where he entered where he. Uh, interviews all these wealth managers. Yep. Yeah. Money master of the game. Yeah. Ray, Ray Dalio. Dalio, Yeah. um, I can't even think of all the other guys, but he goes to all these experts and he, and he's trying to figure out what, what's one thing that they're, that they're due to, to build so much wealth. And, and he, he says this phrase, he actually says it backwards. He says, losers react, winners anticipate, but I changed it. Um, and, um, and when I heard it, it was like a lightning bolt went through me. I was like, if I had to, to zero down into one phrase, what keeps people stuck in compulsive addiction with pornography and masturbation? It's not planning, not anticipating threats, not thinking through you know, how they're going to handle things, not pre-committing to action but just showing up in the moment of temptation and hoping they make the right choice. And it all comes down to those words. And, um, and uh, so, you know, one thing that I've really tried to hammer in the podcast is this idea that, you know, build a plan, um, get those pre-commitments in your life, you know, you know, make decisions today for how you want to handle a, a, a situation where you're going to be vulnerable you know, that's kind of how to do it. You know, I started with a a trip plan for myself. That's one of the things I kept acting out. You know, you want to know what happened in those 11 years that I was trying to get 100% porn free. I kept going on business trips. Right. Um, My last relapse, believe it or not, um, was over eight years ago, was on a business trip. So it's like I still was struggling eight years ago with travel. And so uh, I started by creating these little travel plans where I'd try to anticipate every 
threat that I had. And I kind of used the database of all the trips I went on before. Oh, I got yep. in trouble in the hotel room. I got in trouble drinking too much. I got in trouble with this. Uh, this was a problem, the TV. The, and I started making these lists of, hey, here's things, here's threats, here's triggers. You know, here's some things I can't do under any circumstances. And here's some tools that I'm going to use while I'm on this trip. And the thing is, is when you think through a situation like that and commit it to someone else and have some connection, all of a sudden the trip's a lot easier. Yeah. You come back with a clean sheet. I, I survived Vegas. Um, <laughs> nice. I survived uh, Los Angeles. I've survived all sorts of places. Austin, South by Southwest. Wow. I survived uh, Boulder many times. Uh, so, you know, I, I've had a whole bunch of clean trips um, once I started doing that. So, so that's what I'd say. Winners anticipate, losers react. That's the, that's the secret to going porn free. Wow. I love that quote. Um, I, I, my first ever Tony Robbins event that I went to was in November 2016. And um, he said that quote there and uh, it was spot on for me because I did not have a plan on that trip. And I acted out the first night. Um, and I was like, I, I'm reacting. I'm reacting to being in this setting, being uncomfortable, not having go-to self-soothing plans. And also one of the quotes that I love is um, the only quote that hangs in the New England Patriots locker room, Bill Belichick, yeah. which is uh, every battle is won before it's fought. Yeah. And it's, it's similar. It's like, you know, yeah, I'm going to South by Southwest. Hopefully I won't act out, but you really know that it's what happens before you go that's going to determine whether or not that happens. So it's the same thing, I think, or similar at least. Yeah, definitely. I, I couldn't agree more. So yeah. I, I'm, it's, I mean, one favorite thing I love to do, and I, I think I hear this in your podcast too, is I have this recovery story, but then I'm also influenced by high performers. I'm influenced by thinkers. I'm influenced by business people. And um, one of the secret sauces in my podcast is I'm, I try to take what's interesting me and what's challenging me and try to figure out how can I talk about this in a recovery context. So he was talking about the market and investing and I right. put it into life skills. You know? yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, and it works. People love it. People love that kind of stuff. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. Um, Matt, I'm so grateful for you making the time to come on the show. Um, you mentioned a couple of resources um, already, but if you could just sort of summarize where people can find your podcast, your website, learn more about working with you. Well, podca podcast is wherever you listen to podcasts, I'm there. Um, with the exception of uh, iHeartRadio, they will not <laughs> accept my podcast. <laughs> So if you're listening to Taylor Swift and uh, you're listening to, uh, uh, to Beyonce on iHeartRadio, you can't get to Porn Free Radio. But everywhere else, Spotify, uh, iTunes, iTunes uh, Android, you know, the Android stuff, uh, the Google Play, um, Google Podcasts, all those kind of places, um, you can get to, and the, the podcast is called Porn Free Radio. About half the people find it looking for porn and the other half um, uh, say that they were looking for recovery resources. <laughs> <laughs> That's smart to have porn in the name. <laughs> um, and, um, but if uh, you look for porn free radio on the, on the internet, that's not so smart because that brings up a lot of weird stuff. 
Um, yeah. So my website is recoveredman.com. Nice. And that's where I talk about some of the coaching I do. And um, I actually have a training course. I know you're big into courses. I have yep. a training course called uh, Your Porn Free Playbook, which which goes deeper into my planning methodology and helps guys really dig down in, in a, in a five day course format to, to really building a, a really strong recovery plan. So those are all at recoveredman.com. Plus there's plenty of free resources, um, the porn free this year. And then, uh, the, one of the things I've been doing this last year is my newsletter. Um, I send out three emails a week and, um, nice. and they're, the Mondays I provide a recovery resource. Uh, Wednesdays I provide a, a link to a podcast from our archive, and then uh, Fridays I, rec- I uh, share a uh, inspirational quote. And um, some of the best content I've been creating has been on my mailing list, so um, definitely worth getting on that. Very cool. Well, uh, Matt, really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show, and I'm so glad we did this. Thank you again. Yeah, man. Thanks. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Brendan Burns Show. If it's your first time here, please make sure to subscribe on the Apple Podcasts app or in Spotify. Also, please leave us a rating or written review. This helps others learn about the show and spread the word to new and more people. Lastly, if you're looking to take your personal life, business, or career to the next level and you want access to me as well as my community of like-minded people, head over to courses.brendanhburns.com and join us in Mastery Academy, my membership site that comes with online course content as well as live coaching calls every two weeks hosted by me personally. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.